Welcome to The Rock Podcast. Many Christians wrestle with trying to discern the will of God, and here in James chapter 4, Pastor Adam Wilson brings a helpful message on that very topic. Let's listen in as Pastor Adam shares a message entitled, Doing God's Will. All right, as you grab your seats, uh, let me introduce or reintroduce, most of you already know Pastor Adam, of course, but uh, our church is very blessed to have young men and women We are raising up the older generation and imparting the faith and discipling younger people. You know, the older, uh, and I'm turning, uh, you know, I'm turning the speed limit next week. And yeah, it's not the I-5 speed limit. (laughs) It's the other one, the lower number, the the double digits, five and five. And uh, I'm going to get to qualify to live in Oakmont. All right, next next week. Uh, But we're not going to be around forever, you know, and so we're passing the torch to the younger generation, and uh, Pastor Adam is part of that in our church, and a lot of the pastors are younger, and uh, his story is just phenomenal. You know, about nine years ago, he came into the church as an unbeliever, and he came up to me, and most of you know the story. He said, I have a lot of questions. And I said, well, good for you. God has a lot of answers. <laughs> so we went out to lunch, and I, I believe it was that week. And uh, Pastor Adam stayed at the church. He received the Lord as a Savior maybe four or five months into coming to the church. He met his beautiful, godly Christian wife at the church, and they were married. They went down to Bible college, and we've had the privilege after Bible college, two years of them coming back and serving alongside all of us here. We had a part in bringing him to faith, and just to watch him grow and see the gifts and the calls uh, of God upon his life has just been wonderful. And so, uh, Pastor Adam, why don't you come and Bless us now. We give these guys a, a chance to preach and teach. And... I love this shirt, but we're clashing. Yeah, that's okay. If only one of us is up here at a time, it should be all right. <laughs> Was that a, a hint? <laughs> I don't know. Take it as you receive it. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate you too, Ross, and uh, mentioned in the first service that this is actually the first time in many years that I've shared while he was here, because it's usually he's gone, and so um, so it's great to be able to share with you here. So it's a, it's a privilege to be able to share God's Word with you, and this morning um, we're eventually going to get to James chapter 4, if you want to turn there now in your Bibles, James chapter 4, and I wanted to let you know a little bit about how I came to this passage. Um, 
Uh, last week, Katie and I, um, well, actually two weeks ago, Katie and I uh, were had some time off and were on a vacation, which turned out to be a staycation. Um, we had we had some plans. We had intended kind of uh, last moment maybe to try to, to try to get out of state. Katie has some family in Oregon. We were going to go up there, and that didn't work out. And then we were going to go out to the coast for a little bit, and uh, that didn't work out either. And so we just ended up going to the couch, and uh, that worked out. <laughs> that worked out nicely, <laughs> actually. Actually, Katie, had, Katie got to choose what we did every other day, and I chose what we did every other day. And my days was on the couch and uh, just kind of hanging out and doing different things, watching some movies, reading a little bit, praying, knowing that this day was coming and trying to look forward to what the Lord might have for us. And then Katie's days were going out and exploring and going on adventures and going on hikes. And to um, tell you the truth, I enjoyed her days much more than I enjoyed my days. But it was the thought of staying on the couch that seemed nice, but... Um, it was nice to get outdoors, out, outdoor with them. But as I was thinking about what um, the Lord might have me share this morning, I was kind of thinking about uh, Pastor Jim's message from a few weeks ago, three weeks ago, when he taught on the authority of Jesus Christ. And then um, last um, two weeks ago, when, when Pastor Ross was back up here and he taught on the apostasy in the last days. And then, of course, last week with Dr. Mark Hitchcock teaching on prophecy and then giving us that wonderful message, first service, if you were here to catch it, um, about um, loving God's Word, loving prophecy because we love God's Word, and how that ought to affect our lives in terms of uh, good works and um, storing up treasures for heaven, uh, in heaven for ourselves through God's grace. And so that was, a, that was a great message. And so I was just uh, reading and praying, and I came across Psalm 39, and as I was reading Psalm 39, um, the Lord just said, hey... Uh, I felt I sensed the Lord saying James four, and so I turned to James four and read this passage. And not a passage that I would normally choose on my own, but I felt impressed that this was the Lord. This is what the Lord wanted me to share. And so um, we'll be looking at verses thirteen through seventeen in James chapter four, and talking a little bit about the will of God and um, our obedience to His will. And so um, I wanted to say that. Uh, you know, last week we had Dr. Mark, of course, come and give the prophecy conference. And then next week we have a medical doctor who's going to come and talk to us about creation. And I'm right in the middle, so I was feeling kind of honored that I got to be part of the headline of this, you know, season. But then I realized that uh, I was more like an intermission than anything else. So. <laughs> and in keeping in that thought, you know, uh, we had the conference last week. And we have a conference coming up this week, and, and our Sundays, our weekends are busy, and so I'm going to try to keep this message a little bit more um, uh, short in length. Now, I didn't tell the first service that because I couldn't guarantee that that was going to happen, but since I've been through it once, then I know how long it is, so <laughs> I can say that now. Um, but I did listen to Pastor Ross's message in James chapter 4, um, and it was actually three years ago this very week in July that, that he taught on this passage and um, his message was about you know forty or no fifty minutes long, and um, and then I also listened to Pastor Damian Kyle from Calvary Chapel Modesto. I love that guy, and uh, his message on this passage was about three and a half minutes long. So <laughs> I I hope to land somewhere in the middle. Of course, he was he was going through chapters four and five, so he only had a little bit to say about this passage. But we will be in James chapter four, and um, I wanted to start by telling you a, a story that happened to me um, when I was 18 years old. And my life growing up really never had 
any um, any direction. I had, you know, a pretty decent family. Didn't have a good relationship with my father. There wasn't a lot of direction there. There wasn't a lot of uh, support uh, or love. And so it was difficult as I came into my teens and and even into adulthood to really know what it was to 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 live and and to be a man and and to you know uh, do the things that I was created for. My 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 family. Um, wasn't a Christian family, we didn't go to church, and, and so without very much direction, without any direction really from the Lord, because we just weren't seeking Him, and without any direction from family, I just felt kind of lost, confused, and um, angry because of life and circumstances, and not really knowing uh, what life uh, had in store, not really enjoying what life was uh, bringing to me at that time. And I remember specifically one instance. I was 18 years old. I was working in in the the city of Calusa, where I grew up in Calusa County. And afterwards, I went to the gym. And um, as I was leaving the gym, I just remember that day was was an, an exceptionally bad day, and 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 how angry and upset and just confused at life I was. And I came out of the gym, and and when I went into the gym, um, uh, it was sunny. And when I came out, it had just started raining, kind of like what it's doing a little bit of today. And uh, so the the rain had just started coming, and I got into my car. It was a Mustang GT, and and I got in there, and I was just mad, and, and like any hot-headed 18-year-old would do, I threw it into reverse, and we were kind of parked. Um, it wasn't parallel parking on the street. It was an angle, angular parking, so you kind of park into the parking stall that way. And so when I came out, I just floored it and 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 spun out and then hit the brakes as I was you know, preparing to stop and go forward. When I hit the brakes, my car just started spinning down the middle of the road. And it came to a stop, um, you know, maybe only spun a half a time or something, but it felt like it was spinning out of control. And I came to a stop, and it was, you know, it was overcast and cloudy and getting dark outside. And I just remember sitting there, it was kind of like in a movie. And the, um, you know, my windshield wipers are going, and and uh, my headlights are going out into the... the uh, the water that's raining down, and there's nobody really walking around at all. And for somehow, all these cars that were parked along the the street there, I missed all of them. I just kind of went down the middle of the street and didn't didn't hit any of them. And so, you know, I was I guess thankful, not really. I was still angry and upset, but I just realized that you know I could have just made a, a huge mistake and destroyed a bunch of property and maybe even um, you know risk injuring my life or or something like that. And uh, I just remember sitting there and and. I think I said this out loud. I just remember thinking or saying, I wish there was somebody who told me how to live my life. And um, there's a few uh, t- times like that in my life, and maybe some of you have experienced this before, where now I look back and I see the Lord and His Holy Spirit that is with us before conversion, um, wooing me and trying to bring me into a relationship with the one who can and does tell me how to live my life for, for my uh, best interest and for His glory. Um, but it took about five, or I was 18 and I was 23 when I came to know the Lord, so five or six years before I actually su- surrendered my life to the will of Him who is able to tell us how to live our life. And those five years in between got even worse than, than the years up until my, my 18th year that I had experienced. And uh, one writer put it this way, he said, Apart from the will of God, life is a mystery. When you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and seek to do His will, then life starts to make sense. 
And that's exactly what I experienced as I became a new believer. And as Ross mentioned, I had a lot of questions, a lot of questions about life, a lot of questions about, you know, really the meaning of life, a lot of questions about faith, the Bible, God, um, these things that I was being confronted with in a good way, but I was still resisting because I wanted to do my own will. I wanted to exercise my own desires in this life, even though I had suffered greatly from that. And so um, we're going to pick up here in James chapter 4. And, um, you know, the context of James is it's a book that um, Pastor James wrote to the church to try to, to remind them and show them what it looks like to live a life of faith, that um, our faith alone in Christ that brings salvation isn't alone when it comes to our, our works unto the Lord, that there should be evidence in our lives of us knowing and loving and obeying and following God. And so we're going to pick up um, in a passage that talks all about that, and I think maybe to the greatest degree here in uh, verse 13, James chapter 4 and verse 13. And James says, Now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. Anyone, then, who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. And so that's the brief passage we're going to be reflecting on this morning. And uh, kind of broke it up into two little headings here, two little points for this little devotional time that we have together. And the first one is the folly of omitting God. The folly of omitting God. And the second one is the blessing of including God. And so the contrast here between seeking to do our own will and seeking to do that um, of God's will. And so in verse 13, again, James says, Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make Money. Now, apparently there were some in the church who had no regard for God's will. And James will go on to tell us, instead you should say, if it is God's will, we will do that, we will live or do this or that. And so the problem here isn't the fact that these people were plan- making plans and desiring to, to prepare for the future. The issue and the problem here is the attitude of omitting God from their plans, leaving out the, the sovereignty of God, the, the, the fact that God is in control of everything and He's the, the only one that knows the future and can um, uh, make our plans succeed or fail. One commentator said, Perhaps James was addressing the wealthy merchants in the assembly. They might have discussed their business deals and boasted about their plans. There is no evidence that they sought the will of God or prayed about their decisions. They measured success in life by how many times they got their own way and accomplished what they had planned. And so in their planning, we see them speaking of different things. We see them uh, speaking of preparation today or tomorrow, you know, whenever we're ready. That's when we'll go. Uh, Places, this or that city. They speak of periods of time, um, spend a year there, and they speak of their purposes to carry on business and to make money. But there's one thing that they didn't speak of, and more importantly, that they didn't think of, and that was providence. They didn't think of God's sovereign providence over creation. And so, as I mentioned, you know, planning for the future, um, that's 
that's diligent and commendable. It's good to do that. The scriptures mention that many times, and especially in Proverbs. In Proverbs 24 and verse 27 says, Finish your outdoor work and get your fields ready. After that, build your house. So it's good to make plans for the future. It's good to prepare for things. I mean, that's part of, uh, part of why we prepare is because we don't know the future. So we make, prepare, we make plans and prepare for what we hope to happen or what we think might happen. And in doing so, um, we can either include um, the idea of God's will in that or we can leave it out like these guys happen to do. And so there's nothing wrong with planning trips. There's nothing wrong with having insurance. There's nothing wrong with saving for retirement or becoming wealthy. That's not the issue that James is pointing out here. The issue, as with most everything else, is the attitude or the heart behind these things. They had an attitude of selfishness and of greed, presumptuousness and pride. And as we'll see, you know, they had no regard uh, for the sovereignty of God or um, the uncertainty or the brevity or the frailty of man. James says in verse 14, Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. I can't help but think that he might have been thinking of Proverbs 27 and verse 1. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. We have no idea. We are clueless when it comes to the things of the future. We can make an ed- educated guess because God and His benevolence has given us some stability in terms of you know the days that pass by, the sun will rise, you know the things that we are you know are used to doing or seeing or being involved in will be there hopefully tomorrow. I mean we take that for granted, but we don't know for sure. We can't even see past the next moments. We can certainly not see into um, further areas of our future. There's a veil between us and the future. You know, it's like God has given us the ability to have memories and see into the past, but in terms of the future, that's something that only He can uh, reveal to us. And He has revealed to us a little bit of the future through His Word. And that's the only place where we can be assured of what the future holds, is through His Word. He has pulled back the veil a little bit and given us a glimpse of what is to come and what His plans are. And I thank God for that and one one writer I'm just thinking now uh, said you know I'm I'm kind of thankful that God hasn't revealed to us what the future holds because it might be too frightening to to deal with you know um, if we knew when our time would come and and what the full future would hold in terms of our time coming then we would die a thousand deaths before that day came just waiting for that to happen and so I think God's um, mercy and His grace is part of why we don't know what the future holds. And it's also because he wants us to trust him and to lean upon him. You know, as I was just thinking Proverbs, the first scripture I ever memorized when I became a Christian, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord. Um, no, I'm forgetting it. But trust in the Lord <laughs> with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. And um, we need to trust in the Lord because we don't know what the future holds. And we are so weak and frail. We are so... Um, finite in our nature that um, there's nothing that we can can um, presume that will take place without God being involved in it. And so we need to consider Him in the things that we do. Um, you know, James says, therefore we, we uh, who are we to make boasts about the future? And who are we to make boast about the past or the present? We shouldn't be able to boast in anything. Anything good that we have received or, or um, have been granted has come from God. 
And so we need humility. Um, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. And so James says in verse 16, he says, As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. And I was thinking about the parable of the rich fool. Why don't we turn there in Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, we'll just read that brief section together. As you're turning there, I'll let you know the context of, of this passage. Uh, Jesus, and of course, and Luke records a lot of parables that Jesus um, spoke during his earthly uh, ministry here. And um, there was uh, some guy who came up to Jesus with a little quarrel, a little uh, family squabble, and was kind of demanding something from Jesus. And Jesus said, who am I you know, to um, judge between you? And then he said this in verse 15 of, of Luke chapter 12. He said, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Hashtag first world problems. (laughs) Verse 18, then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, self, I just kind of throw that in there. That's what he said. Self, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. In verse 20, I look, at, I, I look at those words, but God, you know. There's some places in the scripture where it says, but God, and there's a comforting thought that's coming. If you're experiencing sorrow, if you're experiencing turmoil, tribulation, and uncertainty, and you're reading in the scripture about just the way that this life and the, and the trouble that we face is because of, of the fall and the nature of sin, and um, you start, you're feeling discouraged, and you read the words, but God but God and His grace and His rich grace, you know, saved us by His mercy. And so those are good word, words and, and pleasant words to hear, but there's other times in the Scripture where you hear, but God, and it's not good. And this is one of them. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. And I can't help but think there's, there, you know, this guy's um, whole plot or plight, you know, would have been changed if there was one word that was different. And I think in verse 17... If you look there, it says, he thought to himself, what shall I do? You know, if it would have said, he thought to God, or he prayed to God, what shall I do? Then the, the consequences might have been different. Maybe, you know, maybe not that his life would have been spared, but that he would have had the right attitude. He would have been storing up rather for, than for himself treasures on earth, treasures in heaven, just as Jesus exhorts us to do. And it's also interesting the amount of times that, that you see the statement, I will, in this uh, passage. You know, he, he talks about himself. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Verse 18, then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, and on and on. 
And um, it, to me, it was reminiscent of, of Satan's soliloquy in Isaiah 14. Satan had the same attitude. He said, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly. I will, I will, I will, I will. And, uh, you know, in that passage in Isaiah 17, you know, there's, commentators say there's seven I will statements in, and, um, or Satan refers to himself seven times. And just the, the completion, uh, if you will, of that pride, bringing, bringing you to a point where there, you know, you've, complete your, you've, you've been made complete, unfortunately, in your pride to the point where there's no turning back. You've decided and you've resolved that it's going to be your will and your will alone, not God's will. And the, the man in this parable is much the same. He said, I will, I will, I will, I will. And then we hear, but God. So he left God out, um, but God is never left out. God includes himself invites himself to this passage and tells about how it's really going to be. And so we need to take that into consideration. James says, all such boasting is evil. The word, the word used there for evil um, in the Greek is the same word that's used of the evil one when the Bible is talking about Satan. And so it just fits in there really well that it would come from Satan. This pride, this um, presumption, comes from the enemy of our souls and you know he desires for us to take part in it because he wants us to either worship him or to be destroyed in the process of trying to worship God and so that's that's his MO and so we need to be aware of that be aware of the enemy's schemes in those things you know our own will will only lead us astray it's God's will alone that is safe and trustworthy it's the safest place to be is in God's will. Some people, and I read this, um, and I think I've heard this before as well, you know, some people are afraid of God's will. They're intimidated by what God might have in store for them. But, you know, logically that doesn't make any sense. If God created us and He knows what's best for us, then He's going to provide uh, for us the life that fits our life um, the best. And so, um, there was a story of a, a young man who approached a preacher and, and said, uh, you know, I'm afraid that God is wanting me to do this or that, and I, I just don't want to follow God's will because it seems like where he's leading me might be dangerous. And the preacher replied, the most dangerous place is to be outside of God's will. That's just a, that's just a paraphrase. And so the safest place you can be is in God's will. And so that's why James says in verse 15, instead you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that, and again, you know the the uh, the foolish merchants there in James um, chapter four. You know they had left out in word, you know um, that they were going to do God's will if it's God's will. Um, but the issue was the attitude that they had left it out in deed. Um, and so it's not about you know stamping um, if it's God's will, I'm going to do this or that. You know I'm I'm sure uh, if that was a formula that that brought success a lot of bank robbers would be trying to employ that you know it's God's will I'm going to rob this bank Uh, it doesn't work that way it's all about the heart and the attitude and so just like it's not the the exclusion of the words but the but the thought of not including God that's dangerous it's not the inclusion of the words but the attitude that really matters and we see this with the New Testament writers especially Paul saying you know if it if it's if it's the Lord's will I will return to you and sometimes he said that and sometimes he didn't but 
I think we can look at his life and say, whether he said it or not, he, w- he at least had an attitude of trying to seek God's will. We don't want to get trapped in just you know, applying a formula to something and um, thinking that we're going to get it just because um, we falsely um, invest our own will into thinking that it's God's will. You know, God's, you know, may uh, um, my will be done on, in heaven just as it is on earth. You know, that's reverse. That's not how it's supposed to be. May God's will be done uh, on earth just as it is in heaven. And so um, the attitude that we need is not just an attitude of saying the right thing, but an attitude of humility, of doing the right thing. You know, humility comes from acknowledging the, the, the word I have is transiency of life and time and our existence. We're so limited. We're so finite. You know, we, we, you know we, can't, we can't see beyond our lives. If there's one thing that can bring humility um, and that I often, you know, think about when I'm, you know, either tempted to, to entertain pride or I'm in, um, you know, uh, um, a group of people or a crowd where things are just are prideful, you know, I think about the reality of death and how that reality should just humble us immediately because we are so limited, we're so finite, we're so needful, we're so um, fragile and vulnerable, and we need, we need God, we need humility. So we acknowledge the transiency of our life and our, of our time versus the permanency of God and eternity. God is infinite. He is eternal. He's omniscient, omnipotent. You know, he's, he is forever and beyond. I don't know. You know, we can't wrap our minds around it. But when we get a picture of God, when we get a bigger view of God, it ought to make us get a smaller view in a healthy way of ourselves. And I, I remember um, I was in a relationship years ago before I came to know Christ and and I remember we went we were going for a, a stroll through the redwoods I think and people were taking in the magnificence of the of the redwoods and just saying how grand they are you know and and I heard somebody mention um, uh, God and creation you know how wonderful God's creation is and I just thought to myself you know um, that makes me feel very insignificant to think of that and it was in a bad way because I wasn't thinking about God or following God you know to think about how great God's creation is and um, to think about myself and my life is just meaningless and pointless and so back then it brought me great sorrow and even depression to think about that but because I've learned to trust in our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ and to trust in God the opposite has happened I realize I'm much I'm actually much littler than I thought I was, even, even when I was standing next to the redwoods. But there's hope and confidence in that. It's a right understanding. And that's a part of humility. And James says, you know, back in verse 10 of, of chapter 4, he says, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. Our humility, uh, our exaltation from God only comes when there is humility. And um, if we don't know God for who He truly is and what He's truly done, um, then it's impossible to experience true humility. But when we get a glimpse of God, who He is, and what He's done, then humility is the natural response. And so it takes humility to know and understand God's will. And the best thing to do to get to know God's will is to get into His Word. His Word reveals to us what His will is. And that's why being in the Word of God is so important. It's in God's Word where we find his will for everyday living. Let me give you a few examples. 
It is God's will that we should be sanctified, that we should avoid sexual immorality. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 3. It is God's will that we give thanks in all circumstances. 2 Thessalonians 5.18 It is God's will for us to do good. 1 Peter 2.15 and, and there's plenty more. And those are just the verses where it says it's God's will. But really... Um, to obey and to live according to what God has revealed to us in His Word. That's the fullness of His will. Um, Warren Wiersbe wrote this, Every commandment in the Bible addressed to believers is part of the will of God and must be obeyed. But God does not call us each, uh, does not call each of us to the same work in life or to exercise the same gifts and ministry. The will of God is tailor-made for each of us. And so on one hand, we have the will of God as revealed to us in His Word. And in a general sense, it applies to each of us all together as individuals. What God wants us to do in terms of faith and in terms of um, morality and in terms of the things that He has laid out for us. His will is for us to obey those things. Um, but on the other hand, God also has a specific will for, e- a will for each individual. And um, you know, His will in those things where it's kind of you know, not so much black and white, um, uh, can be, you know, a little bit more challenging to discern and to know. But again, it's through God's Word where we may be able to discern His will for life direction and decision making. And um, oftentimes, you know, I hear people, um, I've heard this from uh, other people talking about it, and I've heard it myself, people ask questions about what what is God's will, how can I know God's will for my life in this situation or in this decision? Um, and this or that. And, um, you know, there's a good answer, and the answer is, I don't know. <laughs> I don't, you know. I don't know what God's mind or heart is for specific situations when I'm, you know, initially confronted with them in my own life. But there, I think there are a few guidelines that can help us to get to know what God's will is. And um, there's a couple here that I just want to mention to you. I have four of them, and this is what I use in my own life, and and... Um, just counsel others with. And the first guideline or question is, um, I think, the most important one. And that's, does it line up? Does whatever you're seeking to do, whatever you feel like it's God's will for you to do, um, does it line up with the teachings of God's Word? Obviously, I think that's you know common sense, but it has to be said because a lot of people say, I think this is God's will for my life. And the Lord has made that, that it's not clear, that um, He's made it clear that it's not uh, according to His Word. You know, especially things that have to do with sin or uh, disobeying or walking in ways that He has revealed for us not to walk in or walking in ways He hasn't revealed for us to walk in. And so does it line up with the teachings of God's Word? That's the first and most important thing. If it doesn't, then it's not God's will. You can stop there and discard it and say, this isn't God's will for my life. But maybe it does. And so the second thing is, well, what is the counsel of other mature Christians? Are you seeking counsel from anybody who who knows the Lord, loves Him, and and you know has some maturity in their lives according to His Word, and is able to give you faithful instruction? And uh, that's been really helpful in my life. And anybody who is willing to to um, seek counsel and willing to receive the counsel, because a lot of people can seek counsel, but uh, a lot less actually receive good counsel and apply it to their lives, because they want to hear what they want to hear and not necessarily what the Lord has to say to them. And so this is a great way to um, begin to discern what God's will is for your life. But it's not a sure-proof way. Um, I think the only sure-proof way is to begin with God's Word because even um, Christians who are you know, mature and, and 
have good intentions about something they're, they're hearing from you, they may not give you the best counsel. They may not give you correct counsel. Part of it m- might be that they don't understand, the, you haven't told them the whole story about what's going on, and so they're not able to judge correctly and give, give good counsel. But part of it might just be that, you know, it's, it's not clear to them what the counsel is, and they give you the best counsel they can, but maybe that's not the right thing. I think of uh, Nathan, the prophet in the Old Testament, you know, when King David wanted to build a temple, and he tells Nathan, and Nathan says, hey, that's great, you know, do all that's on your heart. And Nathan walks away, and, and God says to Nathan, hey, why did you tell him to do that? And Nathan's like, what do you mean? He says, I don't want David to build a temple. Go back and tell him he can't build the temple. And so he's got to go back and tell them. And so, you know, that's, it, it can be definitely be helpful to help uh, discern God's will, but it's not a foolproof way. Um, I think all of these kind of working together are a good package. And the next one is, um, is there an opportunity? In other words, is there an open door? Is it even possible for you to do the thing that you think God is desiring for you to do? If there is, then that can be an indication of maybe God's will. But again, this isn't a foolproof way because there's lots of opportunities. There's always an opportunity to do something that you're not supposed to do. And so just because there's an opportunity doesn't mean it's the right thing. And just because there's not an opportunity doesn't mean it's not the right thing. God is a God of miracles, and He can make a way when it seems there is no way. And so just because there's not an opportunity doesn't doesn't mean that it's not God's will. He can make a way. And so, you know, I'm doing the best I can up here. I'm, I'm telling you guys how to do it, but also how it might not work. And so, sorry if there's any confusion in that. But like I said, I think, I think if all these things are working together, then that is a good starting point. The fourth one is, is there the peace of Christ? Is there the peace of Christ? Do you have peace about the situation? Sincerely, true peace in the truth and grounded in the, the, the truth that God has revealed in His Word. Peace in Christ. Colossians Chapter 3 and verse 15, Paul tells us to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. And that word rule there is like, like it means like an umpire, somebody who's calling the shots, somebody who is able to say, um, you know, with certainty, um, you know, this is good or this is not good. And so we have, we have the peace of Christ that can lead and guide us. And again, a lot of people might say, well, I have the peace of Christ about this. And it's not God's will for their life because it's a false peace, you know. Oh yeah, um, I you know I have a I have a peace about moving in with my boyfriend or girlfriend. Uh, no, I'm sorry, that's not God's will. That's a false peace that's going to lead you to to hurt and heartache and destruction ultimately. Um, you know, I have a peace about going to the bar or going you know to to uh, this party or that party. And you know, you guys you guys know how this goes. But the peace of Christ um, can only be true and sincere peace of Christ if it lines up with the word of Christ. And so those are the four things that I think about when I am facing a situation and I'm trying to seek and discern God's will. Does it line up with the teaching of God's word? Um, Is is godly counsel pointing me in that direction as well? Um, Is there there an opportunity? Um, Are things seeming to fall into place uh, for this? And like I said, if not, doesn't mean that God still can't make a way. And is there the peace of Christ? Do I, when I've, when I've settled this with the Lord, because there's a lot of things the Lord wants us to do that we might not feel peace about. We might feel unrest. But if, it, but if God indeed wants us to do it, then there's a place where we can feel peace and rest in that. And so those are the four things. And of course, another big one, one other big one, which is kind of like a bonus, I think, is um, that God can give us a specific word for our situation. 
So, you know, the first point that I was talking about generally fits into the principles of God's Word. Does it fit into the principles of God's Word? But God can also give us a specific word um, from His Word, by His Spirit. And I want to give you an example of this uh, just recently taking place, kind of a neat one um, that I was encouraged to hear about. There's a student in our high school group uh, who came with us down to um, Marietta to go on the Calvary Chapel Bible College trip. And, you know, I keep telling people, and, and uh, Jeremiah, if you know him, he, this is kind of an inside joke between us, but you know, I think about my life and how much Bible college affected my life and, and was a great thing. And so my, my two priorities in life are to try to preach Christ and Him crucified and then preach the Bible college. You, know? <laughs> you need to get saved, and then you need to go to Bible college. And so we brought a bunch of students down there for spring break, and, um, you know, just praying and seeing if this is something that the Lord would have in store for them to go and to spend some time in His Word there at Bible College. And um, we came back, and there was a few, there was, there's always several students who are impressed by the place and feel like, wow, this would be a great thing, you know, let's see if, if it's the Lord's will for me to go there. There's one student in particular who was, you know, praying about it and sounded like he was planning on going, but he wasn't too sure yet. And so some weeks go by, and I touch base with him, and he says, well, you know, I ask him, are you still planning on going to Bible college, thinking about it? And he says, well, you know, I don't know um, for sure now. You know, I, I'm not sure if things will come together for it. I'm not really sure what God's will is, thinking about just staying here in Santa Rosa, going to the JC. And I said, okay, you know, we'll continue praying about it. Just make sure that you know God's will, um, you know, or at least have a good sense of what God's will is for this situation. He said, okay. So um, weeks later, talking to him again, and he he says, can I, talk, um, can I ask you some questions about Bible college? And I said, sure. Are you thinking about a little more seriously about going? He said, yeah, I was praying about it, and I was reading, and I was in, um, a few weeks ago, I was in Mark chapter 4, and I read over the, um, the parable of the sower. And you guys know the parable where the, the sower has the seed, and he goes walking along, and some of the seed gets sown on, on the, the hard path. And some of the seed goes into the rocky places, and some of the seed goes into the weeds and the thorns, and some of the seed falls on good soil where it can grow and bear fruit. And uh, he said, you know, I'd read that a few weeks ago and kind of wasn't thinking about it anymore, and then a few weeks later I was laying in bed just praying and seeking the Lord for His will, and a verse popped into my head, just the address, Mark 4.8. And I was like, did you know what the address said? He said, no, I just I just knew Mark 4.8. And so... He said, I opened my Bible, and I looked, and I read, and this is what he read. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60, or even 100 times. And he quoted that verse to me, and he said, I want to be good soil. I think the Lord is calling me to go to Bible college. And so I was super encouraged by that, you know, of course, um, hearing that. And um, super encouraged when, it, when any of the students, you know, are seeking and believe that they are discerning God's will for them in their lives. And so we'll see how that comes together for him. But kind of, you know, those four principles that I mentioned are, were all kind of in place there. And then he got the bonus one, you know, of God giving him a specific word for his situation, I think. I wish that would happen a little more to me <laughs> as well. That'd be, that'd be nice. But, you know, God loves to reveal, um, reveal his will to those who are seeking him and to those who are already obeying what he has revealed to us through his word. Um, someone said, you start with the thing you know you ought to do, and you do that. Then God opens the way for the next step. That's just the way it is with God's will sometimes, especially in things that we are having difficulty discerning. 
Um, James ends his passage here in in chapter 4 with one more quick warning in verse 17. He says, Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. And the good he is uh, talking about here is the good of doing God's will in this context. If anyone knows um, what God's will is in the situation and doesn't do it to him, it is sin. You know, and I'm thinking about these these um, these merchants here, these businessmen, who said they were just going to do whatever they wanted to do and left God out. You know, they were ignoring God's will. They were disregarding God's will. And sometimes we don't even care what God's will is. Sometimes we know what God's will is, and still we decide to do what our will in the situation is. And James says, when you do that, when you know what you ought to do and you don't do it, that is sin. And it's interesting, as I was thinking about this, you know, I thought about James' life, and there's some glimpses in the Scripture, and I think James can speak from experience on this because he wasn't always one who did God's will. Let's turn to John 7, uh, John chapter 7, as we wrap up this thought here. John chapter 7. In John chapter 7... Um, where we find ourselves at a place where Jesus had just revealed himself and said that uh, as the bread of life, saying, I'm the bread who came from heaven. And um, there was you know, some confusion there among the people and those who had ears to hear understood what Jesus was saying. Um, and those who didn't turned from him. And uh, the so-called disciples in that, in that moment left. And so um, it says there in James, or John chapter 7 and verse 1, After this, Jesus went around in Galilee, purposely staying away from Judea because the Jews there were waiting to take his life. But when the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers, whom James was one of, James who wrote the letter of James was Jesus' half-brother, Jesus' brothers said to him, You ought to leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples may see the miracles you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Therefore Jesus told them, The right time for me has not yet come, and here it is. For you, any time is right. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify that what it does is evil. You go to the feast, I am not yet going up to to this feast, because for me the right time has not yet come. Come. What a contrast there between the will of our Savior Jesus being submitted to God's will in his earthly ministry and the will of his earthly brothers not being submitted to God's will. They didn't know. Jesus says right there, For me the time has not yet come, but for you any time is right. Why? Because you don't care about God's will. You don't care about what God um, desires of your life. And you don't understand what what God desires of my life. If you didn't, you wouldn't be making a mockery of my ministry. Why don't you just go, Jesus, and reveal yourself to the world? You like to show off, so go. There's a perfect opportunity. There's going to be a crowd there. Go and do some miracles. That was James' statement. What a miracle God did in James' life. You know, James didn't become a believer until after the resurrection of Jesus, which is just, you know, there's tons of, of, of proof 
uh, to conclude that Jesus rose from the dead. Tons of proof. But this is just one big one, you know, another big one. That somebody who lived with Jesus in his house, who didn't believe in him all the way until he died, and, and Jesus died, James didn't believe he was the Messiah. He was probably thinking in his mind, you know, I lost a brother, but, you know, at least this Messiah stuff, nonsense is, I don't have to deal with that anymore. And something happened, though, between that and this letter. Jesus or James saw the resurrected Lord, Jesus Christ. He became a believer. He watched Jesus die in unbelief, thinking he wasn't the Messiah. There's no reason for James to trust in Christ unless Jesus rose from the dead and revealed himself to him. And that's indeed what happened. And James would go to his death proclaiming that truth, knowing that it was true, having experienced it for himself. And so what a miracle God did in James' life, you know, turned him from this from this man who would have only been known as Jesus' half-brother. you know, Not much significance there because of the way that James decided to live his life apart from the will of God. You know, his, his claim to fame is, I was Jesus' half-brother. But God transforms his life and uses him and gives him his own purpose and his own um, uh, intentions and plans for his life, that he would become the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, that he would sit on the council of um, of the early Christian church there making decisions about what God's will was for the church. Pretty awesome. Pretty awesome to think about that. And so you may have, you know, you may have lost your way, you may have lost your will, but God knows right where you are and He knows right uh, exactly what His will is for you. You know, maybe you feel like your life is spinning out of control, like my life felt helpless, you know, in that car going down the center of the road, feeling like there was no, you know, just no hope in this life. Uh, Nothing to guide or direct or to keep me from making stupid decisions or stupid, you know, impulse actions like the one I had just made. Um, The Lord knows and He still has uh, a, a will for you. It's never too late to start obeying God's will. And the first thing, of course, to do is to is to put your trust and your hope in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To bow your knee, to bow your head to Him and say, Lord, my life is so vulnerable. My life is so fragile. Uh, my life has no meaning or purpose uh, apart from You. Wh- who am I? What is my life? There's nothing that I have that I can give this world or that I can gain for myself and expect to keep and hold on to. There's nothing. Only you are eternal. Only you know the future. Only you hold what's to come in your hands. And so we need to surrender our will to the will of the Father, just like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, did for us. You know, Jesus did, everything he did was according to the Father's will. He submitted himself completely to God's will. He didn't do anything, but it was spoken to him or commanded to him by the Father as an example for us and to fulfill the work that, for which he was sent. Um, you know, Jesus said, my, my food is to do the will of God. And he said, anybody um, who wants to be my mother or my brothers or my sisters are those who do the will of God. Those are my mother and my brothers and my sister. Those, whoever does the will of God. And of course, with us in mind, You know, there in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed to the Father. And he said, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. The cup of his death, of his crucifixion, of having the sins of the world placed upon 
his shoulders. May this be taken from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. And the Lord Jesus laying down his life for us according to the will of the Father so that we may have life. There's a lot at stake when we do not uh, obey or follow God's will. There was a lot at stake for us in terms of Jesus doing that. And there's a lot at stake for us in terms of us deciding to follow God's will. And so may we follow our Savior's example and say, I desire to do your will, oh my God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, that you have revealed yourself to us in your word, that you haven't abandoned us as orphans. And Lord, whenever I think about my life before you, I'm just humbled, Lord, to think, God, there's there's so much turmoil and strife and trouble in this life. And not knowing or having any assurance or certainty of what's going to happen to me or why I'm even here, what's the point? What's the use? of living? What's the use of, of going on? What's the use of striving? The use of doing anything? It just didn't make any sense to me, Lord. I thank you, God, that you revealed yourself to me. I thank you, Lord, that you have made yourself clear, made yourself known through your word, Lord. We can see creation and know, God, that there is a creator and that he's benevolent because his creation is taken care of. We have the sustenance, the things that we need. We can look into our our lives and and see our conscience and know that there's a God who is a a moral God, a lawgiver, who has given us the difference between right and wrong as our conscience instructs us and confirms to us. And Lord, above all that, most importantly, you've given us your word so we can know who you are, what what you're like, and what you've done for us, Lord, and so we can know how to respond um, in a manner worthy of who you are and what you've done. So Lord, thank you so much for not abandoning us. Thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for giving us a hope and a future and for giving us life, new life, abundant life, a kind of life that we can enjoy, that we can look at and, and um, say, uh, I may not always know what's going to happen, but I know the one who does and I am safe and secure in his hands and in his will. And so, Lord, may we just, in humility, realize, God, that it's your will that must be accomplished in our lives for the good of ourselves, for the good of those around us, and for the glory of your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can stand as we close in worship. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.